Well, one minute has passed. Isn't that amazing, right? My watch, I have a watch with a timer, and it tracks the time. Uh, it has a second hand. That second hand, it moves every second. And after 60 seconds, this big hand moves one step forward to mark the passing of one minute. Now, because I didn't tell you my intention, felt long and awkward, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. But if I had shared my intent with you, it probably would have felt shorter. Maybe they've been looking at you know, the time, seeing what's going to happen. But do you know that there are only 14 days, 9 hours, and about 50-something minutes left until Christmas? That means there's approximately 346 hours until we celebrate the birth of Christ, which translates to approximately 20,760 minutes left to get everything we need before Christmas arrives. Now, there are gifts to purchase, maybe parties to attend, people to visit, and we only have just over 20,000 minutes left. So why did I just waste one precious minute of your time? Well, in theory, I didn't waste your time. I just took one minute out of my sermon time. What if I had stood here for the next 35 minutes? Still my time, right? Probably be like, now I'm leaving. <laughs> but, <laughs> but in this Advent season, I want us to recognize the significance of one moment in time the strategic nature of each moment. Now, we re refer to that strategic moment or that strategic nature of time as timing. Timing involves understanding when to take specific actions or make decisions to achieve the best possible outcome. We think about um, when to ask certain questions, when to go to certain restaurants, or the best time to go fishing. So timing is everything because it gives us a sense of calmness, a sense of peace. And today is the uh, second Sunday of Advent. Um, the theme is peace. Now I'm going to invite our guest to read our text, invite Joel to read a text for us. After which, he'll light our candles for us. It's always good to have someone to test drive it for us. So we learned from, from tips, you know, <laughs> or last week. So we actually switch it up and get a different kind of a one just to make sure. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Tiff. <laughs> Either one is fine. I invite you guys to stand as I read. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, 
Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Romans 5, 1 to 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Amen. All right, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And I pray, God, as you be with us and your word become clear to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. But have you ever considered how important timing, timing is to everything that exists? Um, now, many of you are going to be traveling for the holidays. And if you arrive one minute after boarding time, you understand the importance of timing because you will miss your flight. You guys ever missed a flight before? Some people are like, no, no why would I miss my flight? <laughs> yeah, I, I missed my flight before. Thought I had time, you know? But maybe you were even delayed at work or someone took too long to get dressed but you missed this major car accident. Um, if you've ever even had to babysit a toddler, you guys ever had to do that before? I heard somebody said, oh yes. And, and you know that if you turn your head for one minute, it's more than enough time to create chaos. One moment, one 60 second interval, placed in just the right location can make all the difference in the world. Think about the negative emotions triggered by some of your actions that lasted less than one minute. And imagine how much worse you could feel if that negative action had lasted even longer than one minute. Imagine if you had one minute to undo all the things that you've done wrong. But also, the thought, if you had just this one minute of mistake that's used to shape the perception of your life. Maybe it took 10 seconds, maybe five seconds, but less than one minute becomes how people perceive who you are. You're defined by that one minute. One insignificant minute, and 10 years later, you're still defined by it. Uh, today, I want to explore the theme um, that often escapes our attention in the hustle and bustle of life, our, our fast-paced life. Uh, the significance of one single minute in a world that values speed, efficiency, and constant movement, I used one minute of my sermon to interrupt your emotional pace and caused you to pause. Now, some of you might have reflected on the beauty and the potential that's captured in one minute. While the rest of you might be wondering, why don't you just get on with your sermon? You know, is something wrong with you? Is your battery pack turned off? Is your mic not working? Are you just frozen if you're watching online? What's going on? Because we find it difficult to imagine a world 
without movements. Why didn't I just tell you my intent so you could decide to do something in your one minute? I told you it's one minute, you're like, oh, I can just do this in one minute. Maybe I'll just go and see what's going on on the gram. One minute. But our lives are a collection of moments, each with its unique experiences, emotions, opportunities. It's easy to overlook the significance of one minute, dismissing it as insignificant in the grand scheme of things. However, we discover that every moment, every minute holds the power to shape our perspectives, transform relationships, and deepen our connection with God. One minute can be a sacred space for reflection and prayer. And in the silence of 60 seconds, we can find comfort in communion with God and open our hearts to receive guidance and wisdom. So let us not underestimate the significance or the impact of dedicating this brief period to intentional, focused communication with our Heavenly Father. One minute can be an opportunity for compassion and kindness. In 60 seconds, we can extend a listening ear, offering a comforting word or express gratitude. In a world that often seems chaotic and divided, these small acts of love can create ripples of positivity, even in this season. And as a church, we are surrounded by intellectual minds, diverse perspectives and experiences. So how can we use each precious minute to foster understanding, promote unity, and celebrate even the beauty of diversity? You heard the text earlier, Galatians 4, 4 to 5. I actually didn't read this one, but let me read this to you. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. At just the right time, God sent his son, who represents the miracle of the moment. There was a moment when humanity had a perfect relationship with God, but in the next moment, we lost it. And since this sinful moment of Adam and Eve, there has been no more peace in our lives. Our spiritual journey became the pursuit of peace, the perfect state, the Garden of Eden, where peace was the natural state of existence. Pursuing peace and longing for perfect peace is a universal theme. It reflects the human desire for harmony, both spiritually and in our daily lives. The journey to find peace is an aspect of the human experience. The fall of humanity often sparks this debate of free will and the nature of God's relationship with humanity. It also raises questions about redemption, forgiveness, and the possibility of restoring uh, the lost connection with God. In Isaiah 26 and verse 3, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So we find perfect peace when we trust in God. The Garden of Eden is a powerful symbol of perfect harmony and intimacy, depicting a state where God, humanity, and creation coexist in peace. The narrative then takes a dramatic turn with 
the concept of rebellion, introducing a pivotal moment that alters the course of idyllic existence. The rebellion in the Garden of Eden is interrupted, or interpreted, I should say, as an exercise of free will. Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God represents the introduction of human agency and the capacity for moral decisions. This rebellion disrupts the equilibrium of the perfect state. It's like a child with the perfect relationship with their parents. But one minute of rebellious act changes everything forever. You violated their trust, and the violation interrupted the perfect relationship that existed. Now, we learn in Genesis that this, through this rebellion, humanity lost peace on three crucial levels. Number one is that there's a loss of peace with God. Sin separated our peace with God because it violated his holiness. So all of humanity stands condemned before God. But number two, there was this loss of peace with one another. The absence of shame and division in the beginning has given way to pervasive conflicts. There's wars, disputes, and divisive behaviors that tarnish the beauty of harmonious interactions. Marital relationships are strained. Parental bonds face challenges, and political landscapes are marred by discord. The universal impact of this broken life it emphasizes the urgent need for restoration and reconciliation. The third thing is loss of peace within ourselves. We face internal chaos manifested in anxiety, depression, guilt, and emotional unrest. And this search for peace leads to unhealthy lives and, and we make these different choices within ourselves. So in this internal chaos, Advent, the arrival of Christ, emerges as the promise of restoration at the right time. God's foresight in planning our rescue through his son Jesus becomes a beacon of hope. The prophet Isaiah introduces us to the child who will be called Prince of Peace, signaling the dawn of a new era where peace is not just a fleeting concept, but a reality to, to be embraced. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Jesus, we find the restoration of what was lost in the Garden of Eden. And through his advent, his arrival, we embark on a transformative journey toward wholeness. A journey that includes peace with God, peace with one another, and peace with ourselves. God sent his son at the right time so those searching for peace would find it in Jesus as we accept Jesus in our lives. Amen? Romans 5, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord 
Jesus Christ. So as the narrative unfolds, it becomes clear that the loss of peace is intricately tied to the consequences of sin. Sin severs our connection with the source of life and clouds our understanding of truth. So in a parallel to the story of Adam and Eve, humanity, in its attempt to assert our independence, grasps the knowledge of good and evil, but remains hidden from the absolute truth. The result is a spiritual death. And at the heart of this tumultuous journey in life lies this profound absence of peace itself. On Wednesday, I, I taught on, online this live stream that hope is not a passive concept. Hope is a person named Jesus. Likewise, peace is a person named Jesus. Ephesians 2, 14 to 22. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So we're seeing that the separation from God echoes through the accounts of human history, creating a void that can only be filled by restoring this divine connection. Uh, the longing for this missing piece, this missing person, Jesus, becomes a universal theme capturing the human experience of seeking purpose and meaning. So the advent, the arrival of Jesus, emerges as a pivotal act of restoration. So in a sacrificial act of unparalleled significance, Jesus, who knew no sin, willingly shouldered the burden of our sins. We just read that. So the plea to be reconciled to God summarized this essence of Christ's work, inviting humanity to partake in the redemption offered through his sacrifice. This act of atonement becomes the bridge, allowing us uh, to cross from separation to a renewed relationship with God. So Romans 5 verses 1 to 2, it unveils the mechanism of reconciliation, justification by faith. This concept goes beyond a mere pardon. It declares us right with God. Have you guys ever served in a jury before? Anyone? And you guys feel like you're the jury for, for others? Like, yeah? You guys watch shows with juries in it? Oh, man. Thank you. But just as a jury finds an individual not guilty, and justifies them. God justifies us through faith in Christ. So this declaration is not rooted in our actions, but in a gracious gift through the merits of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So we celebrate Jesus as the gracious gift of Christmas. Here's why. If you go back to what happened 
to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, verses 23 to 24. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So access to God was denied. The gate to the Garden of Eden was closed, preventing humanity from accessing the tree of life by extension. So the fullness of communion with God was taken away. It says that their cherubim was turning every which way, which means there's no access, east, west, north, or south. But when the Prince of Peace came, when Jesus came just at the right moment, we were justified by faith and our access was restored. Romans 5, verses 1 to 2. I'm going to keep reading this over and over. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom what? Also, we have access by faith. So hence, this imagery of the closed gate in Genesis finds the counterpart in the reopened gates facilitated by faith in Christ. You guys seeing that? So no longer are we downgraded to fear and hiding. Humanity now experiences intimacy with God, embraced by the merits of the Son. So while the restoration of peace with God is monumental, there's this transformation that takes place because of Advent that extends beyond individual reconciliation. So in his holistic nature, this triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, desires this comprehensive peace that transcends individual salvation. This holistic peace ex expands to encompass relationships with others, urging believers to emulate the reconciling love of Christ in our interactions with one another. In Romans 12, verses 14 to 21, the Apostle Paul provides it provides this profound guide in how we should live and how we should foster this peace. You're going to see this compare and contrast here. You guys feel like reading with me together? Romans 12, 14 to 21. You can sit. What it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire in his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So you see in this passage, where the passage encourages a transformative relationship when we have our rootedness in God, rooted in our peace with God through Jesus. So the foundational principle is to bless those who persecute us and refrain from cursing. And cursing here is not about profanity. 
It's about not responding with negative actions. So if they give you negative actions, you're encouraged to respond with love, blessing even when you've been wronged. And so this counterintuitive response reflects our peace in our relationship with God. So Paul advocates rejoicing and mourning with others, which emphasizes empathy and a shared experience. So living in or with peace involves humility and an openness to associate with people of all positions, avoiding pride and conceit. So the instruction not to repay evil with evil emphasizes the importance of doing what is right in the eyes of everyone. Because when someone wronged you, it's easy to wrong them back because sometimes your ego gets crushed. So you're like, oh, did you just do that to me in front of all these people? I'm going to do it back so they can all see. And sometimes we'll say, I have the right to do it because they did it and everyone saw. Do we have the right or is it because our ego felt crushed? You're setting the stage to make sure that no one will ever do it again, right? You don't have to admit, I, I, I know some, some of you do it. But the, but the passage appeals to the idea of responding to um, hostility with kindness, symbolized by feeding the hungry and giving a drink to those who are thirsty. Now, since the fall, marital, parental, or political relationships have been marred by chaos. However, our peace with God through Jesus can positively influence our interactions with others. So the call to be people of peace invites us to embody the Prince of Peace in our interactions with the world. In envisioning this practical application of these teachings, this discourse, it prompts reflection on how our church and families and workplaces could be positively transformed if we embraced and grew in these principles. So the Prince of Peace has ushered in this new way of living and how we should relate to each other. We're called to overcome evil with good. Now, Isaiah 9 and 6, it beautifully captures the essence of Advent and the profound impact of Christ's arrival. What it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we have this inner peace because God sent his son, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He came into this world to bring everlasting peace because he is the Prince of Peace. So at a moment in time or even a season like this when our peace gets interrupted because life happens, Jesus came at the right moment. And maybe the right moment is one minute from now or perhaps you're thinking what would have happened if you have waited one more minute. Sometimes you do some things like, man, had I waited one more minute? That ever happened to you before? It happened to me before. Just waiting one more minute. But then but all these things we're seeing comes back to Galatians 4 and 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So most people missed the miracle of the moment. They didn't recognize the significance of Christ's birth at the time. Maybe they were busy um, 
focusing on this young girl giving birth to her first child in a stable. Wondering, man, how does it feel? Your first child surrounded by animals. But at the right time in history, Jesus was born. The coming of Christ into this world was not a matter of chance or coincidence. His coming was part of God's divine plan established before the foundation of the world. Paul introduces us to this breathtaking concept of the fullness of time, signifying the meticulous orchestration of God's divine intervention. So in the chaos of our reality, we get a reminder that the birth of Jesus was not a random occurrence. The fullness of time, it speaks to the culmination of God's redemptive plan, a divine timeline where every event, every trial, every victory is knitted together. It's a revelation that transcends the limitations of human understanding, reminding us that God's ways are higher than ours. His timing is perfect. It's not like waiting until Christmas Eve trying to go to Amazon and the prime won't be working for you. But this truth of Christ provides this groundbreaking force, assuring us that our struggles are not in vain and God is at work in all of it. See, in this fast-paced world where immediacy often takes precedence, the fullness of time invites us to embrace patience and trust in God's unfolding plan. As we wait upon the Lord, we find a unique peace that stems from knowing that God is not bound by our limitation, but is actively working out his purposes in his perfect timing. God sent his son to fulfill his purpose in our lives at the right moment. So why are you in such a hurry? In fact, just look at someone and ask the question, why are you in such a hurry? Go ahead and ask them the question. You know, have you ever, you know, you know, seen some people who are always just in a rush? You're like, hey, just slow down, slow down a little bit. You know, just always in a hurry. But Galatians 4 and 4 says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent with his son, born of a woman. Now, now born of a woman, it's a seemingly direct expression that captures the incomprehensible uh, depth of humanity. I mean, years ago, I won't even go there. But <laughs> in God's embrace of our human experience, right, Christ enters the spectrum of our joys and sorrows and our relentless yearning for peace. This aspect of divine identity assures us that Jesus is not a distant or detached God but a compassionate God who is intimately acquainted with our earthly journey. The incarnation of Christ becomes a powerful affirmation that God comprehensively understands our struggles, bringing forth this sense of comfort, empathy, and solidarity. 
The humanity of Jesus is a lived reality. He navigated the complexities of human emotions. In his birth, we witness God entering the human story in the most intimate way possible. The vulnerability of being born of a woman signifies God's deliberate choice to experience life from our perspective. In Christ, we find a divine Savior, a compassionate friend who walks alongside us in life's journey. So Paul eloquently emphasized the overarching purpose of Christ's advent, redemption and adoption. This is what we find in Galatians 4 and verse 5. To redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as, as who? Sons. And that doesn't just mean guys. Okay? Through Christ, we experience liberation from the burdens of sin. And in an extraordinary display of unparalleled love, we are graciously adopted into the family of God. The disorder uh, that permeates our lives finds order in our Heavenly Father, loving and nurturing us. So the peace offered is a holistic restoration of our relationship. So the term redemption captures this idea of being bought back. You're rebought. We are reclaimed from the bondage of sin. So in Christ, we find this ultimate act of redemption, a liberation from the shackles of our brokenness. But this redemption is a tangible reality experienced through the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's a peace that arises from the assurance that because of Jesus, our sins are not simply forgiven, but utterly removed, allowing us to stand blameless before God. So simultaneously, this concept of adoption expands our understanding of God's love. So in adopting us into his family, God forgives and embraces us as his own. Aren't we happy for Jesus Christ? But this transformative nature of redemption and adoption invites us to contemplate the depth of God's love and the implication for our lives. Uh, it prompts a response of gratitude and surrender. And as we acknowledge this price that was paid for our freedom, this awareness, far from uh, leading to complacency, it fuels lives that, that it's aligned with God, God's will, promoting a peace that stems from harmonious relationship with God. Now, as we navigate the swirling currents of this Advent season, our collective gaze fixates on the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace who entered our fractured world at a precise and appointed time. Born of a woman, Christ's redemptive and adoptive acts serve as the unwavering foundation of our peace. So in our world, this Prince of Peace, he reigns supreme, providing a steadfast assurance that in Christ, we find not just a transient breather, in the turmoil of our lives, but a transformative and enduring peace that defies human comprehension. So as we reflect on the concept of one minute, I invite the worship to come forward. 
as we reflect on this one minute in this Advent season, let us consider how each minute is an opportunity to embrace God's peace in our lives. In the urgency of our daily lives, or even in our existence, it's easy to overlook the significance of one minute, this brief moment. But we're reminded, again in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. When viewed through the lens of the Advent narrative, every minute becomes a canvas on which the colors of hope, peace, joy, and love are painted. And so one minute of prayer becomes a sacred conversation with the wonderful counselor, inviting his wisdom and guidance into our lives. In one minute, we create space for the mighty God to reveal his strength and power, empowering us to navigate the challenges of our journey. And as we wait in anticipation for December 25th, this celebration of the birth of the everlasting Father, let us use each minute to build connections with our community. Reach out to one another with kindness, understanding, love, embodying the essence of the Prince of Peace who came to reconcile and unite us. Let us recognize that every minute is an important thread weaving through the fabric of God's redemptive plan. Let us embrace the gift of one minute during this Advent season. So may each moment, each minute, be a reminder of the eternal impact of the child born unto us. And may his presence shine brightly into our lives illuminating our path with hope, grace, and peace. Jesus is our Prince of Peace.